0: Good evening, world. My name is Kevin K. konacek and welcome to another episode of A24 On The Rocks, a podcast where five friends of a feather flock together to discuss, drink, carouse, and carry on, as well as eventually review every single one of A24's titles in chronological order. This is episode number 38, the 2015 film Into The Forest, starring Elliot Page and Evan Rachel Wood. In this apocalyptic drama, two sisters fight for survival in the wilds of the Pacific Northwest after a worldwide blackout. But I am not alone. The fine friends of a feather have indeed all flocked together. And I am joined by my esteemed co-hosts, Blaze, Cole, Kelly, and Eric. Hey gang, Mr. Kiska, why don't you start us off and tell the people what you're sipping on for this fine movie review.
1: What's up? What's up? What's
2: up?
3: I'm drinking a Topo Chico Tropical Mango Tropical Mango, Hard Seltzer, and that's a scary movie reference for all uh, you millennials uh, out
0: thought there. thought he was going with the Budweiser. What's up? <laughs> Anyways.
3: Up next, we have Kelly.
2: Hey, what's up? At a normal volume, I say, in your ears. <laughs> I'm Eric's wife. I'm also on this podcast. The name's Kelly. Get it through your heads. I'm drinking a Topo Chico, and it's strawberry guava flavor. The better flavor. After me is a man from Tampa. Uh, I'm actually from Chicago, but I will let you slide on that
4: one. I reside in Tampa. Uh-huh. What's up, guys? From McHenry. Uh-huh. Yeah, true. Well. <laughs> 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 What's up, guys? It's Placed with Gerald Rod. I'm back like cook crack. Uh, Tonight, I am drinking Copper Tail Unholy Triple Ale. It's got 9.2% alcohol, so I might not be conscious by the end of this episode. Finally, we got our man down in
1: Savannah. Uh, I'm actually no longer in Savannah. Sold my house. I'm officially trailer trash again. My name is Cole William Whitlock Gibson. Uh, I am drinking... The artist formerly known as Savannah. (laughs) Yeah, I am drinking... Uh, prologue by chapter seven. It is a delicious scotch whiskey and, uh, I am, uh, excited to discuss this film with you all.
0: Fantastic. And as for me, I am drinking monster truck brunch, which is a fruit punch sour with a banana, passion fruit, guava, and orange from young blood beer company in Madison, Wisconsin. Mmm. Delicious. Uh, maybe tr- nutritious. I'm not really sure. I think the the, the bill's still out on that one, um, but damn, is it good! do want to take this time that before we begin tonight's episode in earnest that we are to advise our listening audience that this episode includes content warning as it does include discussions on the topic of rape and sexual abuse but let us begin on this wild movie review as alluded to in the intro into the forest is a 2015 canadian apocalyptic independent drama film written and directed by patricia Rosma based on the 1996 novel written by Gene Hegland of the same name. And it stars Elliot Page and Evan Rachel Woods as the two main characters. The story follows their harrowing journey through the loss of their reality as a massive power outage that never, ever ends and changes the worlds around them. The film opens to the song Wild is the Wind, performed by Cat Power, which is a classic from the 1950s made popular by David Bowie and Nina Simone. The lyrics go, love me, love me, say you do. Let me fly away with you. We are creatures of the wind. Wind is wild. Behind the song, we get a small glimpse of the lives of our two main characters as we get into our film. So, I'm going to open up with the question that we often do. What kind of vibes did we get from this film? Was this anybody's not first time watching it? and kind of how did you feel as we got that opening introduction with the music and our opening scenes? Uh, Eric, why don't you start us out?
3: Uh, this is my first time watching it, and yeah, the blurry interpretive dance footage that started out confused me a little bit, but uh, we do slowly kind of move into the film. Yeah, there's slow piano music that starts out. I wasn't a big fan of the, the music in this film, the theme, but that's okay. And uh, I didn't even know it was Canadian until... I uh, looked it up and so I I thought we were in the Pacific Northwest, but it seems
0: that, well, it's still the Pacific Northwest, but on the Canada side, right? So, yeah, I should clarify the the film is supposed to be set in Northern California, but it was filmed in um, British Columbia. Really? Okay. The the, the book was Canadian, Canadian, though, right? So, um, uh, I do believe so, the details in there, but I'd have to relook in exactly uh, the details, but. Cole, you're looking a little crazy over there. You got some commentary on Canada before we launch into this any further?
1: Yeah, I was just, I, I, it kind of shocked that this was supposed to be Northern California. I mean, I've been to Northern California. Um, I also am very familiar with the Pacific Northwest, especially Vancouver, Victoria, Vancouver Island, where all of my family lives. And I was just like, yeah, this is totally British Columbia. And then you tell me it's Northern California. I was like, well, that's stupid. Why would they... Why would they ever even say that it's Northern California? Why would
0: they change it at all? I, I it's don't a know, Canadian part. film. Yeah. So, so, Cole, you're, you we were are. distracted during the opener by the fact yeah,
1: that... Yeah, I mean, it like, was... <laughs> it's a Canadian film. Uh, Elliot Page is Canadian. It's obviously, you know, filmed in Canada. It's very Pacific Northwestian. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to make it California so it's relatable to people <laughs> while we submit it to all of, like, the Canadian <laughs> film festivals. But continue. Yeah, beautiful.
0: As we uh, get some other elements in this opener, we do get a little bit of montage as we're kind of seeing some of these um, uh, small elements of our character get developed. Blaze, what did you think of the use of montage with that soundtrack backer as the opener?
4: I mean, I first of all, I love the name Cat Power. I think that is such a <laughs> such a me name, so I'm really cool with that. Uh, Eva, the uh, Interpreter Dancing Sister, I, it was very confusing at first. Elliot Page's Nell her character was it's kind of like her growing up through being a student I guess that like they wanted to set up these people as like normal lives the use of the scenery I think the Pacific Northwest every time we watch a movie like this it just astounds me that I haven't been out that way and I really just love the the way the wilderness feels the way the glass or the lakes appear as glass and the rise up to the uh, evergreen trees. And the house itself, the cabin was uh, very interesting considering it's supposed to take place in the near future. I thought the house looked really cool too at first, so.
0: So you mentioned some of those nature shots um, and I wanted to ask Kelly about the use of a bunch of different types of technical, um, I guess we'll call them film elements in the opener. I felt we got some panorama, we got some slow motion, we got some artistic blurring of some scenes. Um, We talked about the montage. Did all of those elements being used in the first 90 seconds uh, of that film work for you stylistically um, and as a viewer?
2: Yeah, it worked for me. I liked the out-of-focus shots for the dancing scenes because it is this, like, interpretive dance. Like, your body's kind of lost in the movement. And I think it's a perfect use case to kind of do these out-of-focus blurry shots like that. Um, And it becomes, like, a motif that continues to happen throughout the dancing. The way I was going to describe this opening is going to sound like an insult but it shouldn't be and it reminded me of twilight (laughs) in the both this kind of the soundtrack and the like atmospheric being modern but being like deep in nature and there's like this kind of mysterious element like amongst the whole thing and i got all that within like the first minute of this movie opening and you know who your characters are that you're going to follow. I think that it was a great establishing shot. It established the mood for the movie, like, immediately. So all of these, like, they kind of front-loaded it with themes that are going to carry us throughout the rest of the movie, and I think that it was effective. It's the type of movie where I think you want to kind of do that.
0: I, I agree completely. I like the... Um idea of front-loading it, because it set up the viewer for uh, all of basically what was going to happen, and it did it in a very stylistic way, which I really enjoyed. Um, Blaze alluded to the next topic that I want to talk to, um, and the final shot of the opener reveals this house. It's the main setting for the film. It seems to be a modern-day home set deep in the woods, featuring an epic dance studio for Eva, as well as some fancy technology pieces such as some space-aged-looking tablets, computer, and TV screens. The feeling and setting is supposed to make the viewer believe that this movie is set in the future. So, Cole, how distant do you think this future is? And what did you think of the depiction of these future-aged technology in this movie? Did it um, suck you in? Did it put you in uh, the setting?
1: Um, So, here's the thing. This movie was not set in the future. It was set in present time. Uh, For some reason, they decided to make it seem like it was somewhat in the future for some unknown reason. One thing that I get annoyed with is when films do like like not so distant future future, and then they throw in like weird tech that is never gonna happen that no one actually wants, TVs that you can see through and tablets that you can see through screens. like you can have that. But you know what people don't want to do when they're reading the newspaper? is not be able to see the words because there's shit behind it that they're just looking through. Like, there's a reason why there's backlighting. There's a reason why these tablets aren't see-through, cell phones aren't see-through, TVs aren't see-through, because you're trying to look at something, and you would like it to be backlit, or, like, you know, the they even have the ink tablets and stuff like that. So that just annoyed me, especially when she's walking around with a clear cell phone that has a light on it for some reason. Um, I just... Felt like that was completely, uh, completely unnecessary, and after the first fifteen minutes, that whole like distant future thing gets thrown out the window because they're using cars from you know fifteen years ago. They're you know everyone's completely normal. It's completely just a normal civilization that just happened to lose power. So I don't know. It was fine. This is why we need Cole here for
3: every podcast. We need the, te- <laughs> the technical response Tet to these, these movies. It just, uh, it, now, there's
0: a couple things we could probably... It, Go ahead, Cole. It
1: just annoys me. I mean, like, straight up, I I really like the setting and theme of this movie. Like, I love the Pacific Northwest. We talked about the cinematography. We talked that the house is beautiful. Like, everything about it in terms of the setting is great. And then they're just like, you know what would be a good idea? Let's get... Let's, like, just hold this piece of, like, acrylic thing and we'll throw some text on it. It'll be like... And we're in the future baby <laughs> it's like one <laughs> technically we already have stuff that you could do that with but no one wants it because it's it's pointless no one likes it so please stop blaze you got something go ahead
0: yeah blaze hit him hit him yeah. with it
4: so I, although i do agree that it's very cliche like future technology like it's almost like uh in the 90s and we had like the transparent game boys and stuff like that we thought like that's what the future was gonna be But you said they did it, they said in the near future for no reason, there is a reason because the film was shot in 2015 and we were just starting to get more and more attached to our uh, electrical items like, you know, Facebook was starting to become a thing, Instagram was a thing, you know, cell phones were getting, you know, more and more important. And if they had said it in 2015, I don't think people would have gotten the gist of how lost these people would have been without electricity. So I think it was almost like, I think it takes place in like maybe 2023, 20, like maybe today, just to show how much further we've become more dependent
0: on technology. Kelly, what do you think? What's your opinion?
2: Yeah, I totally want to piggyback off of Blaze because I was pleasantly surprised by the weird tech that was in their house because I also like coal, so I agree with both of you. I thought it was unnecessary when i saw it and i even said to eric i was like oh they've got the tony stark treatment in this house and it is just bad tech like the person reading your book to you while the actual legible text on her screen is something you could never read i thought was just kind of silly but i think i understand why they do it is because as soon as you try to put any tech into your movie you immediately date it And immediately one year later, it's in the past. And that's always going to be the case. So if you make it something that's very near future tech, it means that this could happen tomorrow. This could happen next year. And I think it just kind of puts a frame in your mind. And it's more framing for the movie. I also think that me, myself, with my dependence on technology, I'm not going to do very well if I was in these shoes. And then I think about the generation just one younger than me, They're even more dependent, so I worry about them. This might be a generation below that, and maybe the cars are older, we're still on gas, and our infrastructure is crumbling the way that it is right now, but I think it kind of establishes with this weird future tech and see-through phones that have flashlights in them, like this could be an even more dangerous world that you have to live in, because you're even more removed from earth, like actual tactile nature.
3: Absolutely. Eric, what do you think? Um, I think what we're all kind of saying is that there was kind of a confusion about like where the setting was and a confusion about what year it was in. Like uh, I didn't even hear like a specific year that it was supposed to be in. Like Cole said, it was present day, but I or like present day as like in 2016. But like I I didn't ever hear them say 2016. I I don't know if I'm wrong there, but uh, Facebook and stuff, we were well on our way. We were already in. So, you know, social media time and smartphone time, because I mean, social network what came out in 2011. So like we were definitely in it. So the point of putting in the future, I'm trying to, you know, grasp at straws here is because I think it's supposed to be an apocalyptic film and it kind of gives it more of a, I don't know, fantasy element to it to put it in the future. It maybe lets you suspend your disbelief a little bit more and Makes you wonder what a future world would be like, which I, I would think if it was actually in the future, we would have more green energy and more people would have solar power and they have solar power for a little bit in like uh, the lamps and stuff. But like I think we would have like homes if, you know, fully powered by solar in like 15 years. Uh,
0: at least that's All right, Here's movie, my quick but, two cents yeah. on this one. I yeah. think that because the novel was written in 1996, I think that the author had an idea of some sort of apocalyptic future where basically our reliance on technology got the better of us. And however you want to portray that is probably the best to do it with overly tropey, ridiculous looking TV screens to immediately give the viewer like, Oh, okay. This is in the future. No idea how far in the future, but we at least know it is at least they didn't go robots or like (laughs) flying things. That would just would have been weird. Go ahead. Cole.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I I get it. I I do. Uh, But can anyone explain to me why this guy had like a super high tech, fancy house and like a beautiful home and he would not fix his roof. That well, was like the last going, thing he was uh, he needed to fix. Yeah, I think he was right? going to. Yeah, he was going then, to. And you then know he uh, that, you know.
3: but he died by chainsaw. He, Here's he the thing. Uh, you know
1: <laughs> I, it, took a chainsaw
3: right, right to, to fucking
0: ruin it for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean okay. everybody's okay.
3: listening. This has seen the We're movie. We're gonna get but. there okay. eventually. Jump
1: to chainsaw. <laughs> it's been ten days without electricity, and the dad fucking dies. <laughs> like <laughs> they, like it is ten days, and they're already at like. We're eating dog food, and I'm gonna go cut down trees because we're gonna <laughs> die. Like ten days yeah. happened.
0: Look, they were <laughs> clearly emergency preppers, right? They had over a year and a half like worth of like food and shit. Now, so clearly, you know. Well,
1: then why bad. was the daddy, you know, dad was eating some fucking dog food? Anyways, day day. they did get one
0: we're thing gonna...
3: right. It was apparently like a pandemic. Like people were wearing masks, and there yeah. was vaccine refrigeration. So they I got did that did right imagine, at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is pre-COVID, and they got mm-hmm. uh
0: they got some. Pandemic stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, boy. We're going to have to go look at this from a whole different lens. Anyway. <laughs> I love that Cole just said <laughs>
2: it's day 10. We're eating dog food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, come on. They thought it was peaches, Cole. Okay. Yeah, yeah they, they didn't it was know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Anyway, as the plot progresses, we come to find that a massive power outage hits the West Coast and almost immediately wipes out all forms of communication with the outside world. The home the family lives in is 32 miles away from the nearest town and their isolation is a major theme throughout the film. The group heads to town only to find out the stores have all been looted and the gas is all gone. They do manage to make a deal with a shady store clerk named Stan for some gas and some supplies and head back home. Uh, During these early scenes, uh, for reasons that we'll get to very shortly, uh, is when we see the most character work from the girl's father, Robert, played by Callum Keith Renane. Robert is a single father who seems to have a close relationship with his girls and would be the type of guy who would be quick with a dad joke, use excessive pet names, or to tell embarrassing stories about them in public. So, what do you think about the performance from Callum Keith Rene? Blaze, did he do enough with his small amount of screen time to feel connected to him or to feel any remorse when, as Eric so put it, he was killed off by a chainsaw? Uh,
3: Fucked himself with a chainsaw. Yeah, yeah
4: too yeah actually he was really like he didn't get a lot of screen time but he was one of my favorite characters and i they really swept the rug like even though i read the description that it's about two sisters they really swept the rug underneath my feet when uh he died so suddenly that uh trip into town was probably my favorite part about the movie and i I'm shocked. Like I've never read the book or anything like that, but I'm shocked that they didn't go back because it was kind of like the beginning of an apocalypse in a small town. Like you know, you could see like you know homeless or I guess homeless, maybe not homeless people, but people leaving their houses with luggage. You know, you saw the few people fighting over scraps at the uh, grocery store, stuff like that. And I really like the societal impact of apocalypse films, and it was a really, really decent setup in the movie. And I think the dad had a lot to do with that because he kind of had, he was kind of gave that dad vibe where he knows a lot about everything. He doesn't know everything about one thing. He knows a lot about everything. He could wheel and deal. He knows when danger's around. He clearly cares for his children, but he's also like, kind of like the fun dad. So I really felt like he carried the movie, the first, you know, act that he was in. And I was really shocked that he died, and he deserved uh, more, <laughs> at least in my opinion, he deserved more than, you know, two girls, like, lying on him and hugging him until wild beast boars come, and then he's really never, like, memorialized again, so, yeah, I thought he did a phenomenal job, to be honest, he was very, um, uh, Last of Us vibes.
0: Ah, very nice. Uh, Kelly, similar question to you. How did you think uh, the character development in such a short amount of time um, was done? Did you feel that it was complete? Did you um, feel empathetic towards this character? And with his untimely death, how did you uh, see that coming or how did that affect you when you saw it?
2: Yeah, I think that they built a fantastic father figure, immediately grabbed me because I am... daddy's girl completely and i immediately uh associated myself with eva and her kind of character and i'm sure we'll talk about both of these girls later too um but the dad reminded me of my own dad and our kind of dynamic and he was like a strong but gentle slow to anger kind of dad who is just like supportive and kind and like everything that want and need a dad to be so i thought they did a great job establishing that even him firmly standing up and being protective of his girls but never being like frightening about it or anything like he's not an overly aggressive person um which is respectable and i liked we kind of mentioned after they go to the superstore you would think you would hightail it back out of there but he's like no like we need to do something for our psyche so you can go to dance you're gonna hang out with your friends i'm gonna pick you up even after you're drunk and fall on your face and we're just kind of gonna giggle about it and sing songs on the ride home like I loved his demeanor and I thought they did a great job establishing him and yeah, it gutted me to have him die so quickly and suddenly and and you see it coming too. And they do a great job with that, I will say, as well with the metronome. I love. I think that they did a good job.
0: Eric, did you want to touch at all on the foreshadowing with that particular um, chainsaw and kind of where that comes into play uh, just in general with that scene and if you did see it coming, how you kind of felt as that scene was um, – kind of progressing
3: there was a lot of focus on the chainsaw for sure before he fucked himself with the chainsaw but like it uh it definitely like when it happened i was like okay this this makes sense the you need this to build the film and what i will say about this film is like what it lacks in the world building of the dystopian world that we're in uh it definitely makes up for in character and uh yeah that dad character i think he was a very good character he was a very a dad you you'd root for you know and yeah we'll get more into nell and Eva later but that's my big thing about this film where it,
0: where it uh, lacks in world building it makes up for a character for sure so cole you're going to talk about our father figure here shortly but i want you to tell me and the audience is it possible to <laughs> jumpstart a jeep using shoelaces and a chainsaw
1: i mean it's definitely possible uh i think the use of the shoelaces is a little bit of a stretch because to create the proper friction and stuff and for him to to like hold that chainsaw taut and like get enough rpms and get the shoelace to 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 crank the engine and or the alternator i'm assuming he's what he hooked up to i just like all of those things it it means it's theoretically possible but very very unlikely those shoelaces would break something would have happened there's a lot of other ways that i think he could have gone about it without using the chainsaw also if they had a generator this whole time with gas he didn't need to do that like straight up he could have just used the generator to charge the battery if he had spare batteries and jumper cables and all that stuff he had to generate not necessary what he did but i do love the the way the reason why they did it in the foreshadowing i thought they did a very good job with the foreshadowing and like building the tension and getting to the point where obviously something happens breaks he dies and then it like you you briefly goes through the trauma that the girls experienced and you kind of see uh elliot page alone you know at the table with like a single egg obviously still you know feeling like gutted about what happened and i I think that she you know feels responsible for what happened even though it was obviously extremely indirect cause but like i really loved that timeline that stretch of this film uh but uh you know the way from a practicality no i don't think i I think they could have done something much different
0: Well, as we've alluded to, and we'll get to right to the point, uh, Robert should have taken better care of his tools. Because, wouldn't you know it, he was attempting to, you know, fix the roof like we alluded to. And he loses a screw, throws a chain, and he severs his femoral artery uh, to the sounds of his own screaming. Dies as his daughters come uh, find him in the woods. We are then... uh, Kind of introduced to some interesting scenes there. Blaze. you alluded to it. Um, We have the scenes of Nell and Eva sleeping curled up next to the body and that vertical shot looking down, as well as the kind of use of gore uh, during that entire scene in general. So, um, Eric, why don't you tell me what your thoughts were on the cinematography of specifically that scene um, and kind of how it really pushed the effectiveness of of the loss uh, of, of the father figure in this film? Uh yeah, the cinematography was decent. I
3: wouldn't say it was it, it wasn't like eye-popping to me. There weren't like shots that really stood out to me, but uh it it did the job. And that montage uh scene, I I actually thought that was effective. I probably would have used a different song cuz I I felt there was a bit of cheesiness to this film, right? Like uh his last words were take care of each other, love each other. Like that's, you know, a little cheesy. You you could say that in a better way, Dad, you know, and uh but like cinematography wise, yeah, I think it was it, it was on par. It wasn't bad, but um yeah, I, I like I felt sad when the dad died, but I there was a bit of cheesiness to it that kind of uh it didn't make me feel it as much as I thought I would.
2: You're
1: bleeding out. He doesn't have blood to his head.
0: Kelly, do you share your husband's stoned heartedness? Yeah.
2: I didn't think it was as cheesy as Eric is saying. It was like, it was obvious that they wanted you to feel a lot. And I don't think that they needed to give it to us in words. It was already the sad Simba and Mufasa cuddling and dying surrounded by animals scene. What really got me though, was the sisters then setting up a bed and start in front of the fireplace and finding comfort in each other. That was gut wrenching. And that was without words. And that was cinematography of showing one of them just like absolutely breaking down and one of them who just doesn't have it her to like em- emote yet, but is going to deal with the grief in kind of a different way. And I don't know that really pulled at my like heartstrings because dealing with death in any capacity, especially a sudden one like that, especially a established in this movie, beloved father that they relied on and loved so much. They did a great job of showing that kind of grief. And it made me feel like, oh, I wish I had a sister close in my age for if something like this were to happen. Like I felt like a longing in my own heart, and I don't have a sister. I never wanted one until I saw that scene right there. I was like, there's something. There's something but with these sisters, I'm glad they have each other.
0: That's that's we we talk about this all the time, right? We talk about a movie making you feel, and you literally just said you want, you wanted a, a yeah. sister or yeah. a sibling based on how this movie made you feel. And that's just such a credit to all of the different things that we've kind of talked about here. The cinematography, the way that without a lot of words, they kind of put you in that moment. And I had the same exact reaction as all of you watching that. Just gut-wrenching. Just, oh my gosh, it's going to happen so quickly and it's going to be over so before they could even process it. And that part too, right? Like they, they can't do anything. He, they cannot do anything. They, by the time they even try to put pressure, he's gone. And that was just absolutely brutal. Did anybody else want to throw in on that gun trenching gut wrenching scene before we kind of move on to the to the yeah. parts? Um
1: just a reminder, all yeah, of that took place in ten days. Just again, just <laughs> just the timeline of this. The movie. world
3: fell apart pretty quickly. <laughs> the cell phone towers must have really fell apart <laughs> like, pretty quickly. Radio fell apart really quickly, like it, all these things that you'd think would probably still be around even without electricity. It fell apart, so... Also, uh, it it
1: took the dad... So the
3: believability of the world building, yeah.
1: (laughs) It, it like, took the dad, like, I don't know, I just... It all happened in 10 days. Also, where are the bicycles? Just throwing it out there. No bikes. No one had a bike. Yeah, they said they saw them, remember? Mm -hmm.
0: Don't they explain that later? He got rid of the bikes to the the kids Mm -hmm. in this
1: class. Yeah, you're right, you're right, okay.
0: So take your little plot hole and shove it, Cole. <laughs> anyway.
1: I really wanted to plug my... What that, I, I it, wanted to plug one of my favorite movies, Turbo Kid, because it's like post-apocalyptic Mad Max but with bicycles and it's amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the author knew that everyone would go there and was like, nope, bikes are <laughs> okay. sold. Try we just again. Got
0: done. <laughs> so we just got done kind of lauding the performances of our, our main characters in this scene and come of the early uh, establishing scenes with their father. So let's talk about them let's talk about the performances of elliot page and evan rachel wood Um, It was both revealed in interviews that they basically took great lengths to prepare for this role, Uh, as far as Evan Rachel Wood even feeding herself smart portions of food to kind of create this hunger deprivation in her character, and it was Elliot Page who brought this project to the forefront when she found the book in a Canadian bookstore, was so enamored by it that she essentially sought out the author and helped create the screenplay and was a producer on the project. So our thoughts on our main actors and um, their performances in general. Um, Blaze, why don't you start us out?
4: I thought their performances were pretty good. I liked both of them as their roles. I liked uh, Elliot Page's portrayal of Nell uh, about how she's kind of more of the headstrong sister, the sister that's wants to make decisions and really thinks things forward. As far as, like, conservating rations, you know, what she should do with the gasoline that they have left. I thought she played a very strong role. And I thought um, Eva, she played her, uh, I guess, more naive, more, like, not within reality of the whole situation until later in the film. She plays the, uh, you know, dance, the dance recital's still gonna happen for a long time. And I thought that was it was believable that she thought that you know life was going to go back to the way that it was and Elliot page now was way more grounded in reality it's just that their story threads didn't go anywhere after their dad died and that was kind of the biggest letdown for me like i said i think a good apocalypse film is more about the uh, consequences of society and you know you can have it centered around a small group of people the problem is that because they're in isolation, it's just they're just straddled to their problems. And even when Nell had the chance to get out and try to go to Boston, she got halfway down the road. We didn't even get to see the town again. And she comes back. So I think the way that they portrayed their characters was, you know, above average to good.
0: Kelly, similar question, but more of a focus on the characters um, and how they are kind of fleshed out in this story, um, obviously touching on the performances as well, but a little bit more on, on what you felt about the character development and kind of whether or not you felt that uh, our, our writer director put them in a spot to kind of be different or if they more leaned towards being more of the same.
2: Yeah, I think that I took from this movie, it's more a character study, it's more a, si- a- A story of sisters than it even is the world that they live in. I think that they did a great job establishing two fluid people. Eva was more the grounded sister at the beginning and Nell was behaving more like a young younger sister who is a little more stubborn and wants her boyfriend to stay around and wants to fool around and see what happens and Ava's like listen here's the situation that we're in we don't really need you getting pregnant right now so maybe uh try to be a little more responsible. So she does behave, in my opinion, like an older sister. I like that they are different in the way that they get angry at each other and the way that they handle their anger. It is just a study to me. Even the way that they kind of like play or try to cheer each other up, like all of it is just a push and a pull between the two of them and their roles then change as the movie goes on is this what it would be like to have a sister near my age and how would we get along in this kind of scenario and where would we strengthen each other and where would we bicker? Even Nell finding chocolate and not offering it to Ava because she didn't answer fast enough. And then Ava getting mad at her and (laughs) Nell establishing like, you never even liked chocolate. It was such like a, they're just going to bicker like they're going to bicker even in this really tragic kind of scenario. And then when, things progress in the movie, the way that they are there for each other was just like, oh, heartwarming. What a good, good, good story.
0: Eric, do you think that this is a true coming of age story um, in the sense of kind of seeing this character development from starting in a certain place and then obviously seeing where they are at the end of the film?
3: I think it's a less coming of age story and more of a testing of how people react when there are these things like apocalypses or it's not even really an apocalypse, but things like large uh, blackouts and electricity going out. You know, it's it's a testing of character, I think. And I guess it, it does kind of so happen where Elliot Page slash uh, Nell, she is about 17 or so when this all happens. And then um, Eva is older. So I guess you they kind of are growing up while this is happening but that's just more of a matter of circumstance i wouldn't put this under the coming of age story genre though
2: yeah i wouldn't even say it's so much coming of age it's like a story of grief in a family is kind of what i was thinking when you were explaining better because i'm like even regardless of what was going on in the actual world this is like it's established in like the family videos they lost their mom super recently too because everybody Mm -hmm. looked about the same age and then the father right after and probably going through something that traumatic and then what else happens to them, it would be the most isolating like apocalypse within your own reality kind of scenario. So it's almost like they yeah. live in an island of their own just based on things that just happen Just happen. It's a testing of character, life. I think, yeah. yeah,
0: for sure. Cole, I haven't asked you about these fine two performers. Uh, what did you think of their roles and kind of their characters and in general how uh, their performances were?
1: Um, I mean, I thought they both did like a, a fantastic job. I mean, uh, Elliot Page and Eva, I think both did phenomenal for like uh, like very like heavily character driven movie. Um, I think the dad did great. I really liked the acting in this movie. I thought they all did a phenomenal job. Um, and and a lot of the interactions were very relatable as someone that grew up with three sisters and seeing them interact and also interacting (laughs) with them um they definitely like nailed down some of the vibes and responses that you would get from like dealing with the you know inner inner like bickering and stuff like that so um i think they did like a phenomenal job with it i pick apart movies and stuff that's just the way i am it's almost like the apocalypse doesn't really matter it's kind of like a secondary thing and in some ways i kind of like that in other ways it makes it almost seem i don't know more boring at times we're just like waiting for something and then i I don't know i just I i have some issues with this movie but if you talk about just the characters i thought they did a phenomenal job
0: so from this point in the film the movie takes a stylistic departure and introduces some time jumping we get the perspective from the girls from their two-month, sixth, eight, and then 15 months away from power. So what do we think about the use of the effect here? Uh, was it effective in moving the pacing of the movie forward? And then we're going to just kind of move that into a pacing question in general. How we felt about the pacing and kind of where we felt as we were watching it. So Eric, why don't you start us off? Um, and then Cole, why don't you go next? Pacing, I, th- I felt
3: was good. I I do like how they pronounced. Uh, how far we're into after the power outage. The pace of events that happen in here, th- there's very drastic things that happen in here. That's that's the thing. It's like I think that things turning this drastic so quickly isn't exactly believable. If like all of our power went out, because I also truly believe, like it's been proven in studies that in when, when things like this happen, when there's mass power outages, uh, usually lower and middle class people tend to be much more altruistic and empathic. Like, uh, for example, they did a study of Katrina and what happened a few days after. And despite what you saw on TV, there was actually a lot of people just helping each other everywhere and caring about each other. And in this film, it's just like, OK, everybody's just going to start fucking, you know, pulling out shotguns if you approach them on the road right away. So, I, I mean, I think the way the film was actually paced is okay. I just don't exactly believe that things would get this drastic so quickly in a society without electricity, so. All
0: right, Mr. Cole, what did you think? 101 minutes. Was it too long for you?
1: The pacing in terms of the time jumps was good. I think in this film needed it to, like, properly express like the full story that they were trying to do there definitely was some lull points this is not my first time watching it and i think the first time i watched it i was much more engaged than the second time just because i kind of knew what was going to happen and the parts in between were really just kind of like long and drawn out and i i also understand maybe there was an artistic choice to make that because survival isn't necessarily the most exciting thing in the world. A lot of it is just, like, monotonous and repetition and doing the same thing over and over to make sure that you have, you know, your your basics of, like, food, water, shelter, you know, heat, stuff like that over and over and over again. You know, I, I like the time jumps and stuff. I, I am a big fan of them just saying exactly how many months it is because I do get annoyed with films that just, like, fade to black. And then it's, like... <laughs> you don't know what time it is like you know you're like it could be years it could be months who knows and with the way that this apocalypse hit you know in 10 days everyone was going crazy and uh you know loading up on shotguns and i I agree with eric i think it's very um dramatized version of an apocalypse where hey we're five days of this bad boy you know what i've decided i'm gonna be a marauder i'm gonna be a bad boy (laughs) We're gonna be eating dog food, and we're gonna start. We know that toilet buddy. paper
3: will definitely um, get bought out, but like everything else in the grocery store, getting bought
0: out. Yeah, yeah I don't know about that. As, uh, as Stan <laughs> says, it's yeah. the wild west out there. Yeah. So
1: you know the part where Stan makes his return. How many? I can't remember what the timeline was when he comes back. Does anyone remember Eli, how many months it's been the, when he makes his return? Oh no, Stan! Stan oh, no, Stan! Eight, eight. yeah. I don't know. That was kind of like. A weird thing where it, within 10 days like that whole like that town was like almost decimated right in terms of yeah. like stat like yeah. everything right and after then, like, the six months, six months eight right months later six months is when the rape scene yeah six months later this guy stan just like miraculously knows where they live and also shows back up and it's just like i know it's been six months you know within 10 days we were eating dog food and within six months it took me to walk you know 30 something miles to just
2: well, he had a lot of raping to do on the way, Hang clearly. Out. That's the I character reveal that he that yeah. he's going to have. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know, like, if we want to dive into that scene, obviously very, very, like, like, the topic is very heavy and, and like, it's hard to do in films and do in, like, a proper way and stuff. I, I don't know. I have, like, mixed feelings about it. I feel like they could have possibly done it in a, I don't know, just a, a different way i just felt like it was very i understand it was necessary for the film but it just didn't feel like they made it as feel as necessary or impactful as like story driven as i would have hoped because of how how uh, how you know obviously how yeah, so let's it jump into that a little bit so
0: know. after after we mentioned it during the opener this film does have a very graphic and what i imagine to be pretty realistic portrayal of of rape and sexual assault that scene involves Ava being accosted while chopping wood while Nell is away collecting blueberries and for me, it was quite hard to watch, to be honest. I do feel it was necessary to talk about it, though, because it was a pivotal plot driver for the remainder of the film. So, Cole, you kind of uh, gave your opinion on that one a little bit and for me, it was just kind of visceral and hard. Um, does anybody else want to jump in on kind of what their thoughts were um, in processing that, that difficult scene?
3: Yeah, we couldn't we we couldn't watch it really. Uh, I put it on mute. Kelly left the room. Uh, it you know those kind of scenes in film are extremely hard to watch, and you know there's trigger warnings on films on IMDb now for good reason because uh, you know those kind of scenes can really like trigger you know people. They sh- were mainly showing her the whole time. They didn't show anything else going on. They were showing her face like, was guessing, I had subtitles on, I was guessing they were kind of showing her screaming and stuff like that, and so that, you know, that's tough. Uh, Is it necessary Mm -hmm. to put in this film that is a fictional work? I guess uh, where we end up in the end makes it necessary. I guess the way they did it was pretty visceral, even though they didn't show the guy, but it was still,
0: yeah, tough to watch, for sure. Yeah, I definitely took notice, too, that they were very... um Purposeful with their choice on showing just her face um, and kind of the raw emotion of of what that was going through. Um, It was reported, I know, that during the filming of the scene, Evan Rachel Woods was screaming so loud during the acting part of it that she, you know, popped some blood vessels in her eyes from the intensity. So, as far as like method acting and kind of getting into it, um, yeah, they, they went all out. So. Uh, that was that was something there, uh, Blaze. Did you have anything you wanted to throw in on on that particular scene, or kind of just the way that that uh, changed kind of the characters and the way that the film kind of progressed?
4: Okay, so I want to tiptoe around the two ups really, really lightly on this one because I know it must have affected you guys pretty badly. For me, it felt extremely schlocky. It felt unnecessary, and the resulting pregnancy and birth also felt unnecessary in my mind. I think like again rape is such a difficult subject to talk about and to ever downplay it even in a fictional work is you know you're 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 asking <laughs> you're asking to draw the wrong attention but I mean it, the way that it, it it was the creepy grocery store guy and the way that it didn't come off as a surprise as to his intentions from the beginning it was anti-tension in like a bad way and the scene itself was you know obviously like any scene like that is hard to watch but when it's that telegraphed and then again i'm sure we'll talk about it coming up but like the resulting effects of it like it just seemed kind of tacked on to uh move the plot so the scene itself although traumatizing for you know you know for the average person to watch as you know someone who's seen the movie like last house on the left like that is a brutal scene this was a very watered down version of a very hard thing to witness Uh, but at the same time it just it, it it didn't feel like the payoff that comes was worth the um the obviousness of the scene and you know, again, schlockiness of it. I felt it was very B-movie-esque and a really just a ploy to tug at your heartstrings about Ava and, you know, maybe to get her to uh, mature in this aging world. But at at the same time, like, you know, I get it. It, it. It affected you guys, and that sucks. But, you know, at the same time, I've seen that in movies done a lot more effective. So, yeah, it was... It wasn't fun to watch, but I've seen it worse. That's that's kind
0: of my point. So we've already alluded to it, but some after, some heavy-handed foreshadowing uh, you do Kelly get dead. Oh, sec- Kelly was. Uh, Sorry, uh, I didn't Kelly, jump. Uh, jump in, please.
2: Yeah, so like I will say when it comes to this kind of stuff in movies, Eric oftentimes he's very sweet and he looks up the like trigger warnings for me and he's just like, just so you know, this is gonna be a thing that happens, and then I read it in more detail. Something that pissed me off about this is that they're like It's really not that bad because it's a more artistic rape scene. You're going to look at her face throughout it. And I was like, that's sickening that somebody thinks that that means that's better or easier to watch. I also don't necessarily like the idea of I've seen more brutal rape scenes in movies. So this one didn't really do it for me. I think that that was kind of a weird comment to make, but that's okay. You can have that opinion. I think that having... Not watched it, but watching what happens leading up to it and then her responses afterwards. And um, I think that this was written from somebody who's probably pretty intimate with the subject. The choice is to show it. I hear it lasts like two minutes long. It's obviously a really pivotal part of the movie. I know people who have had children from the same kind of conception and made the same decisions afterwards. I find that her making that choice was something that I don't know, like... If I've ever seen that made in a movie, and I think we were talking about pacing, the quickness to make that decision was an issue of pacing for me. I think that they could have sat on that maybe a little bit longer. Anyways, it's it sounds like it was difficult for people to watch. I think that they probably needed to put it in the way that they did, because I also think it affects the people who watch it a lot. So it seems to be a... What makes this movie stand apart from others is probably that scene and everything that
0: happens after it. Right. And and the results of of that scene and all the communication between Mm -hmm. the two sisters and the things that they develop because of that scene. So to answer my own question, do I think it was necessary? Absolutely. I think this film has a gravitas to it because of what we see and what we feel in that exact moment. And every single time we see her cringe or flinch at a human touch or, or the things that she kind of has to handle throughout the rest of the film, you can truly say, like you said, Kelly, you can tell that it was written from a perspective of someone who's probably had to deal with it or have seen it in a lot of circumstances, to be able to write it so poignantly and so specific. It you're right, there couldn't have been any other way, I don't believe. And it well, Oh, I want to there add.
2: was one other thing I wanted to say. Yeah. If I can steal the floor one more time. Blaze, you also brought up like that it was like the creepy weird guy that does it, and you see it coming, and I completely agree with you on that. I almost like it, in this kind of scenario, I like that it's included because it would be a real risk for two women living alone and people know that they live there. But it would be more likely, based on statistics, that the boyfriend Eli would be the perpetrator, not random man who came down the, like, street months later. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was Eli usually the whole someone way. you know, so. The whole yeah, way. I'm like, I Eli, agree. Eli, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Cole, did you have something that you wanted to throw in on that before we kind of move in to a different segue?
1: Yeah, so I kind of had, like, kind of wanted to go off of some of the things that Kelly said. One, I also thought that Eli would have been a much more, much better story yeah. beat than just Stan shows back up six months later. I thought that was kind of lazy. And I think that one of the problems I had with this whole scene and this whole scenario in terms of how it kind of just felt weird to me, obviously it's you know a hard thing to watch but the weird thing was just like you mentioned how quickly after the fact like decisions were made and like the story just moved on for such a character driven movie they didn't let the characters kind of drive the after fact it was just like i'm gonna keep it and we're just gonna ignore everything and move on and they kind of just Left it and they just moved on. And they were like, Okay, now the new story is yeah. you're gonna have a baby in the post apocalyptic world. And it's like, We're just gonna drop that storyline. First storyline was dad's really cool, dies. Next storyline, terrible thing happens. You know, we have a rape. Okay, we're done with that. Now it's the new storyline is how do we have a baby and get B12 into <laughs> B12. this world? You know,
0: <laughs> speaking of B12. It has come to uh, the point in the podcast where Cole famously will continue to talk about the details uh, that we see in this movie. B12 is a deficient vitamin in this film because they can't get meat or, um, you know, protein. So Elliot Page's character decides to go hunting for the very first time in their lives. Climbing a tree, falling asleep while waiting for said animal, waking up and then upon realizing that there is a pig, blasting herself out of the tree onto the ground um, in what was a interesting bit of comedic relief in this film that didn't have a lot of other moments in it so did that comedy bit if anyone else took it as a comedy bit strike you as relief um and cole what did you kind of think about that scene in general um even from the butchering of the pig um and just kind of some of those details (laughs) on on that
1: well as the resident canadian and i think the only hunter in this podcast um first and foremost i don't understand why she was just chilling in a tree like there are tree stands but just her chilling on like a branch precariously perched up there bad idea also just like a general like science thing with guns um contrary to how movies are yes they kick but they can only kick as much as... It's like an equal and opposite reaction, right? If a bullet's being launched out and it hits something, if unless that thing that you shot and it hits it launches that thing too, you're not going to get launched off of the tree either. Like, it might make you unbalanced if you're not ready for it and stuff, which uh, that would be way more believable. But the way that they field it and she shot it, and it was uh, like a Winchester 70, which is like a, just a standard bolt-action rifle, she just gets like fucking launched. And it's not even the proper way it's like a Django Unchained type Quentin Tarantino shot where he like shoots it and she like launches 90 degrees the other way so that scene was very funny to me very comedic it definitely uh made me laugh I will say the scene with her like actually butchering the pig is I mean she's doing a terrible job at it but it's uh apparently it's a real pig I mean I was it was like very realistic and I looked it up and it's like sure enough they just got like a dead pig and they let her just go to town and try and butcher it. So that scene was obviously very realistic and like all of the guts and stuff like that and her peeling the skin. I don't understand why she put Polly down. If she was reading the book, she would have hung hung it up by its its haunches and and strung it out that way, made it a lot better. But for some reason, she decided to put a tarp down and put it on the tarp, not to get the ground dirty. I guess. Fun I fact: uh, Elliot Page is vegan. That,
3: and so when he did the scene, uh, he uh, did this. he was vegan when he did the scene.
0: Wow, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that
3: is that is yeah. impressive because again, and, uh, like, so we take a B twelve pill too. So that's very to much a thing. thing. Uh, if you don't eat meat or dairy, uh, you need to take B twelve pills. Whoa! <laughs> if you're vegan, yeah. yeah. So yeah, more vegan. So. Yeah. as much as I
1: hate on this film, yeah. realistic yeah. stuff. The whole pig butchering scene was very realistic about how you do it, get the guts out, and all that stuff. It's method. Uh, and then you know yeah. you skin it and then and then and peel it out. So I made... Mean, Elliot did a fantastic job, especially if you're vegan. I don't understand why you signed up to do that. That seems like seems like a, a step that's like a little bit f- beyond yeah. what you needed to do in this film in terms of that. But, I mean, I respect why it, man. Th- I really do, especially for a film that was only what, a budget of 10 grand Yeah. Or something, why crazy? did uh,
3: Daniel Day-Lewis beat a guy over the head with a bowling pin just for There Will Be Blood?
0: You know, who knows? <laughs> I guess we'll never <laughs> understand it. And sometimes you just <laughs> gotta yeah, do stuff the film. Yeah. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. as the movie approaches its climax, we see Eva starting to have uh, contractions and going into labor. On top of the stress of having a baby, their house, which has fallen into disrepair over the past 15 months, is starting to collapse. Seemingly left with no choice, the girls collect any last-minute keepsakes and gear they may need and elect to use their remaining gas to light their childhood home on fire. Blaze... Not ironically, with the name here, but uh, what did you think of the uh, scene in general? Um, what did you think about their uh, election to light their house on fire as opposed to, you know, just leaving it alone and just kind of the way it was shot?
4: Um, Yeah, from the character's perspective, it made a lot of sense. They figured that, you know, there were people after them at the time and there was black mold, which was bad for the baby. So it's symbolically saying that they're ready to move on from home, which is what any you know young person would do in real life. Their circumstances are a little bit uh, more grandiose than that. So I, I thought it was shot very well. I thought uh, to kind of echo what Kelly said, the uh, decision for Eva to keep the baby, um, especially under the circumstances. And then on top of that, these circumstances of, the world state during the time it was very befuddling to me to say the least that was definitely a like an issue for me just like character wise god forbid i had like g- gotten pregnant like consensually i don't know if i'd want to keep a baby in that type of world but their decision to burn the house down was actually like way better than what i expected it to be cuz just like their old way of life the roof was dilapidated there was rot from the inside and they needed to be free so the way that it was shot the way that you know the characters handled it that made sense so the I, again i i'm kind of talking cuz like the fact that there is a baby in this movie like frustrates me but the fact that the sisters could go on out into their new life was it was a very symbolically, it made a lot of sense, and artistically, it was something to behold because you don't really get to see the Phoenix rebirth in a lot of movies done right. And I feel like you know, at least in that uh sense of the word, they did it right. But my only question is, what do they do now because th- there's I don't know where they're going to go. Are they going to stay in the little, like, uh, stump tree house for the rest of their life? Or are they going to move to town? Like, they, they don't really have a next step. So, reality-wise, like, what are they doing next? Because there really is no next outside of uh, living a matchstick man life, where you're just walking through the uh, Pacific Northwest and uh, hoping to make a, you know, a fake bus and shit well, like that. I guess <laughs> we're going to find out in the sequel, then.
0: <laughs> Kelly, what do you think about the um, the ending there? Just that whole scene in general, the, just kind of the election to, to put their past behind them and to move on and just the way that it was represented in the film.
2: I can say this because I'm a woman, but I feel like Ava, as soon as she had a baby, just got filled with crazy mom pregnancy hormone brain and was just like, well, there's black mold. We got to burn the house down. We got to burn the house down. Baby, not good for the baby. Burn the house down. Like it just seemed really brash to me but i think the symbolism there is like there's a new life there's a new like literally and figuratively we can leave all this stuff behind us we don't need it to physically exist in order to carry things forward with us uh, so i don't think that staying in one place is the safest decision for them anymore especially one that is going to make them ill but the fact that they're going to set their house aflame and then not walk too far and hide in what i was calling the fuck- the fuck stump. <laughs> the fuck. And that's the where they're going to make their first home. I'm like, I, I hope that they continue to You said it. fuck
3: shack, actually, when we were <laughs> oh, watching I? it.
2: I, I think the fuck,
0: fuck stump works better in this yeah. circumstance, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh. but.
2: I was like, well, they're just kind of drawing more attention and they're not very far from it. But in my mind, then they continue to just roam and cause they've established, they know how to be hunter gatherers. So I'd like to think that they're a okay. And, a little boy grows up to be happy and healthy. So, I think it was a happy enough ending.
3: That's pretty devious to have your sister have a baby in the shack that you had sex with your boyfriend in for, like, a month. You, you know, try to clean it down. You, like, try to clean it a little bit. Disinfect it before you bring a baby into there. You know, like, it's, it's not a clean place.
2: Yeah. No. All right. Also, that was...
3: Like, how many loads were on the ground?
2: Ew. Oh,
0: Lord. We're moving on. I'm cutting this conversation off. <laughs> that was off. the Cole,
2: cleanest Cole, childbirth, too, if we're going to talk about how realistic yeah, it was. That was yeah. a, like a model like a model childbirth. baby
0: with some weird like things pasted on it. Like, here's your not-recently-born baby trying to play as a recently-born baby. Awful. <laughs> Speaking of unrealistic things, Cole, would that house have gone up in that rainstorm? I mean, that thing, it was raining fucking buckets, and they just thing up like a fucking um, candle
1: yeah uh short answers no <laughs> no uh <laughs> with it being in the pacific northwest it's like wet all the time i mean everything is saturated all the time making like a fire out of the wood you find is a pain in the ass let alone burning the whole house down that's filled apparently with mold and saturated has like leaked everywhere it's fallen apart um very very difficult also completely unnecessary and for uh, people that are so concerned about wasting the gas they're just like yeah there's definitely not any other way we could possibly burn down this building without just you know using all of the last of our resources and just going to town for sure definitely no other way yeah i I mean that was like i get the symbolism i understand her like really wanting to burn it down but at the same token that's like your dad and mom's like last place right like i feel like there should be some i just don't understand why they didn't just leave it also you know now they're gonna they're just gonna go to the stump and live in like a five by five foot stump with a little roof with a child i don't think that's gonna go very well at all you know what they should do they should go east perhaps to Boston. I heard that uh, they have some power and they have jobs out there. You know, maybe even Eli's waiting for them. You know, The, the end of this movie was just like, you know what, we're gonna do? We're gonna burn down the only like shelter that we really truly have. You know, instead of trying to fix it or even quarantine the mold, we're gonna burn it down and we're gonna go live in a stump. We're not even gonna try and travel and go to find other civilization, we're gonna move further away from civilization. I don't w- ever want the earth to come back, I don't want to even yeah. know about it. For all you know, 30 miles down the road, everyone's just like, man. That power outage was fucking gnarly. Thank God we got it all back, guys. (laughs) Uh, That house
3: was probably worth a shit ton of money, (laughs) and, like, if the power comes back, they probably just burnt down, like, 500... no, it's Pacific Northwest like six hundred, seven yes. hundred thousand 700000 yeah. dollars worth of home.
2: Millions.
3: Yeah. Millions. yeah, no, yeah, probably more. Yeah, yeah. and a nice house yeah. like that in the like overlooking the mountains and everything mm-hmm. and it's just like why didn't you patch the roof from the first place? You did all these other things that were smart. You were smart about like food and conserving stuff, but you just didn't patch the roof and it it leads to black mold. <laughs>
0: this is the point of the program where we begin rating and reviewing this film. Um, we've all talked a lot about the themes in this film, some of the cinematography that we saw, some of the um, editing and pacing and all the other parts about um, what makes this movie good or bad, and we're about to get to it. So we're going to go ahead and start off with Mr. Blaze down there in the corner. Um, why don't you hit us with your rating?
4: Sure. Okay, so mine's going to be short and sweet, um, because I have two slightly longer things to talk about after that. So, first of all, I think I looked at this movie in the complete wrong light. I looked at it as an apocalypse movie. I was going to say, if you want a better one, you know, look at The Road, look at, you know, The Last of Us, play The Last of Us, Mad Max. I, I really feel like as an apocalypse movie, this movie sucked, I really feel like as an hour and 41 minute movie, this movie sucked because it just it just didn't do a lot for me with how much time it was given. You never get to see the consequences of what this giant traumatic uh, event was. So everyone's saying, oh, this is a, uh, you know, a character piece. So I have to rewatch the movie as a character piece because I watched it as an apocalypse movie and it was very terrible in my mind. So I'm going to give it. A D-24, but yeah, D-24. But I want to do two things on top of that. One, Kelly said that it was very weird that I said that it wasn't a graphic enough rape scene. And I want to combat that by saying this is art. This isn't, we're not talking about real rape. So we can grade art. This isn't like a real rape versus a real rape. So the fact that, you know, I can say that I've seen more brutal examples of it. Well did you want it to be I more brutal? I think that's brutal? a valid statement.
3: Like, is that that's what <laughs> I guess we were I
4: never said I wanted to be more brutal. I'm saying I've se- I've seen rape scenes that have affected me more, right? right? I've seen I've seen pictures of water that affected me more than pictures of water that have affected you, right? I've seen still Lives that have spoke more to me than still lives that have spoke to you. I don't it's know what you're art. trying to... It's art. It's yeah, fiction. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're asking. It's... Yeah, I'm
2: hearing you, but like we know that it's art, too. Yeah, we know all this. Right, yeah. so I don't
4: know... <laughs> I don't know why it was a weird comment. It's I'm saying I've seen scenes that have affected me more. That's It's, it's yeah, art. I, I it's understand all your
2: perspective. I get it.
4: Secondly, on a, on a higher plane, um, our illustrious host asked me to look up my boar apocalypse because uh I feel like it's a more pressing matter. Uh, so just real quick we can cut this out I did but, ask him um, to do this
0: so <laughs> so
4: since 2016 I've been feeling I've been uh wild boars are a minor point in this movie but the wild boar epidemic is actually a real thing so I just wanted to like throw off a few cold statistics real quick. <laughs> Uh, so basically, since the 1500s, the traditional wild boar has crossed way with the domestic pig, creating a huge hybrid hog uh, that are descending a mass in Canada and the United States, primed to cause an even greater discussion than usual. These so called super pigs are moving south from Canada, are incredibly intelligent, highly elusive, larger in stature than their cousins, and capable of tunneling in the snow, even in colder climates, according to The Guardian. The U.S. has around 6 million feral pigs across 31 states and are now considered an invasive species. They usually weigh between 75 and 250 pounds but can grow bigger. Wild pigs cause immense damage to U.S. agricultural, estimated 2.5 billion a year. Vehicle collisions are on the rise and wild pigs carried at least 70 zoonotic diseases, including swine influenza, salmonella, pathogenic E. coli. And that's according to National Geographic. I think that if you want to learn more, go to some more news hosted by Cody Johnson on YouTube. He does a really good thing. But the big thing that these characters should have worried about were the pigs. Super pigs, guys. thank you, guys.
0: Super pigs. (laughs) All right, Cole, you're up next, buddy.
1: Yeah, so I have problems with this film. I also liked certain things with this film. I will say the first time I watched it, I think I liked it more. I genuinely liked it. Um, I thought it was a decent movie the first time I watched it. The second time after, you know, Kevin, you talk about like the critical eye, you know, the first time I just watched it because someone told me to watch it. And I was like, yeah, that's not a bad movie. Second time I watched it, critical eye also just felt very drawn out. There's a lot of like lulls in the film and kind of how I alluded to earlier and what we talked about is the film kind of felt almost segmented, but not in a good way where they just. They sort of just never talk about the stuff in like the previous um storyline like the dad dies and they don't really go back to that a lot and then there's the rape scene they don't really go back to that and they just keep kind of progressing but ignoring the the past so to speak um I love the set I love the Pacific Northwest um I thought like Elliot Page and the other cast members did a phenomenal job with the acting and and overall just like did the characters justice in terms of their skill set. I just wish the story was more, was just more and more interesting and more compelling. And they did, did more, uh, I guess, interesting things with it. I just felt like it was kind of dull and boring at times. And uh, obviously there was things that bothered me throughout the film. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think there's much better films in terms of the genres. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of the Rover. That's a post-apocalyptic, gas shortage kind of thing. Um, I really like that movie. Um, Blaze did mention The Road is another phenomenal film about it, but with this being so character-driven, it just didn't didn't click with me versus some of the other like heavy character-driven movies. I'm not going to give it as bad as Blaze, but I'm going to give it a C minus. I think. I think if you or have any interest in the film, I push you to watch it. I think it's I don't think you're going to waste your time. But um if you're in in for like a I want to see a post-apocalyptic world set from like a woman's perspective, um which is a one that you don't see a lot, I don't think this one necessarily does it justice and I think they could have done a much better job.
0: All right. Kelly, you're up next.
2: Yeah, I'll say I was I Liked this movie more than I thought I would. It's a topic that is seemed really dull to me on a flavor point. I was like, this isn't something that I would have watched on my own. Um, But it surprised me with um, how much I liked the cinematography, how varied it was. And they used a lot of different techniques that I think were just like really well utilized. I thought that the relationship between the sisters, as I've said, like, really made me feel a lot. And that's the point that I make is, make me feel in your story. Make me make me believe, show me something, teach me something. And it, it nailed all of those things. All that said, it, I liked it more than I thought I would, but it still didn't like blow my socks off. And I do think it's more of just like a story about sisters and your perseverance in any kind of cruel world, more than it even is about the apocalyptic scenario that it's set in. I <laughs> can't be more eloquent than that. I liked yeah, it. No. Good job, everybody. And I liked the music. Great acting, for sure. Oh, All that said, <laughs> it would be probably, I think, a solid B minus 24 from me.
0: All right, Mr. Kiska, you're up.
3: Okay, so now that we've talked about this more and more, I, I'm like, is this really even an apocalypse film? Because there isn't mass death. Like, doesn't an apocalypse film include mass death? You can't really have a post-apocalyptic world. If there's no mass death, because mass death because there's no apocalypse, so uh, I'm just gonna go into this. It's more of like a dystopian sci-fi film that's just placed like five years from now, and the believability of the world for me is the thing that kind of tampered it down a bit. Uh, I think the acting and character development though was extremely good in this film. I I definitely will give props to Elliot Page and Evan Rachel Wood for the roles they played. Uh, there are definitely things with the script I have problems with, like uh, Love You Like Stink, and also, you know, the way that yeah. the, uh, the dad, you know, his last words, that was kind of just like, uh, all right, you know, and the piano and violin music wasn't my favorite, little cliche, so there's some cliche parts of this film. Uh, overall, though, I, I still think that the acting carried it, carried it, though, and it made it an intriguing story. And although I don't, you know, completely agree with the ending and everything that happened in it, I still am going to give this film props for the acting. So I'm going to give it a C plus 24. Uh, I'll be right a little bit below Kelly, but not uh, not far behind.
0: All right. So a lot of what I'm going to say you've already all touched on, so I'll keep it brief. Uh, I think for a film that had a $10,000 budget, this went above and beyond what I thought was possible for a low-budget indie film. I thought that it uh, was very pretty. It was very well edited, filmed very nicely. Um, The performances uh, were well done. The story had me a little bit more believing than I guess... Some of what you guys have said, mostly maybe because I can kind of picture myself being lost in the middle of the woods and never hearing anything going on in the outside world. So when that doesn't happen, I guess I can believe a little easier because I know that it's it's possible to get lost out there, but not when the apocalypse is happening, everyone's dying around you. It makes it a little bit harder to believe, absolutely. Um, I think that, in general, this movie had me pretty hooked up until the end, as we've talked about. Um, You know, the whole deciding to keep the baby and some of the one-liners in relation to you know, that whole thing felt more of like a propaganda piece on some choices. Uh, and I'm not going to touch on too much more into that, but it, it lost my viewership attention because I kind of was like, oh, well, I guess there's the point of what we were going for. Um And then we're just going to go off into life and not explain any of the, the details on that part of it. I really enjoyed the scenery. The pacing worked well for me. And in general, I guess I would recommend it for specific people looking for works of, let's say Elliot Page, for example, um, that would say, yeah, go ahead. And because it was a tour of force on, on some of the acting jobs themselves. Um, so that part I would definitely recommend highly. Um, we talked about, we didn't talk about the soundtrack oddly enough, and maybe because again, it didn't really mm. exist. We had the, we had the song at the beginning, and then we had a little bit of, of a reference when they were singing in the car. But other than that, like Eric said, it was very generic. Uh, it, strings and you know music that makes you feel uncomfortable they did a lot of trying to make you feel a certain way and i want to choose the way i feel i hate getting the heavy-handed lulling you into this is the way you were supposed to feel in a movie that sometimes doesn't work for me so at the end of the day uh, all those things considered i will get ahead and give it a c24 right down the middle not too great not too bad so Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for being here and hanging out with me today. Listeners, thanks for uh, subscribing and hopefully leaving us a great rating on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, We certainly enjoy doing this every week. And if you ever want to be on this podcast, if you ever have a a movie that you're just like, you know, I'd love to talk about that in the A24 library, go ahead and look us up. Send us a message. We'd love to have you on and we'd love to chat. So thanks, everybody, and have a great rest of your
3: evening. Bye, Bye, y'all.